welcome to Taste Bud Traveller. It's going to be the best time for you to find out about all the most exciting places in the world and what to eat. I'm Julia Sayeta. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Better Homes and Gardens. Now, I've done a lot of travelling, but my co-host, I think, has probably even done more, Ben Alcock. You're going to tell us all about yourself, what you've done, where you've been, why you love it so much. Off you go. Uh, Julia, I am just a super keen traveller. Probably had my first overseas trip when I was about eight, uh, like a lot of Australian families, went to Fiji and was totally hooked. And I've been travelling ever since. And my kids travel with me now. I love it so much. About 20 years ago, I decided I needed to work in the travel industry. And that's where I've been ever since. And since then, I've um, spent time as a travel professional, travel writer, blogger, photographer, uh, and general ponderer of travel. So you know what? We can just talk for hours and hours and hours about what we've done, where we've been, what we love. What we love eating probably is so important and all that wonderful wine, champagne, whatever, aperitifs, digestives. I can think of nothing more pleasant actually, Julia, and I can't wait to join you on Taste Bud Traveller. (laughs) What's your favourite place to travel? Uh, I'm particularly into Latin America. I love that part of the world, love the Pacific, Um, really, really into Indochina as well. But what's not to love about Europe and I can't wait to um, talk about Italy with you. Isn't Italy just splendid and probably outstandingly the best place you can go to, even though other places in the world are absolutely magnificent as well? It's a total fairy tale. It is a total fairy tale, um, and we're going to have a lot to talk about. So, bienvenuti all'Italia. What about you? Tell us about your Italian experiences. So I've been a couple of times, um, and most recently with my family, which was, you know, I had a couple of young kids at the time, yep. maybe... Um, three and a half and about 10, something, or maybe uh, younger than that, eight. And um, so I learned a thing or two about travelling with kids in Italy. And one of, the, one of the things about it is that I can't imagine a more perfect place to take kids. One, because it's just a land of pizza, pasta and ice cream. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, food is easy. And I know that can be a really difficult thing when you're travelling with kids is having fussy ones. And if the food's a bit odd or a bit different, that can be a real challenge. However, whilst they're having that, you are having the pasta and the pizza and the vino as well at the same time. Is it not the most splendid place to just buy wine? The jugs you get on the table, the expensive expensive stuff if you want it, and you can go to the vineyards all over the place. Now, did you drive? Um, yeah, not immediately after having the wine, but yes, we, we <laughs> yeah. did. We drove yeah. a lot. And um, again, we learned a few things about driving um, in Europe to, by doing that. And we were delighted on arrival to be upgraded to this enormous people mover, which seemed an absolute you know, jam at the time, but was a bit of a disaster because getting around Italy can be really tricky. Oh, I was going to say, roads. Yeah. and the Italians would have really loved you blocking their roads left, right and centre. But I think one of the most extraordinary things about Italy, is there a more beautiful place in the world that you can, and when you're driving, you're on the back roads and it's gorgeous. But if you think of all the cities there, any one of them, pick any one of them, and it's culturally fabulous, fashion-wise it's amazing, places to eat, of course, things to look at, history, extraordinary. So favourite place? Oh, gosh, hard to pick one, right? I mean, you would know it's very hard to have a favourite. But all those things you've just described are 
pretty much why Italy's just about the most visited destination on the planet, right? I mean, great food, great people, incredible culture, um, spectacular landscapes, a million things to kind of see and do. Um, but in terms of favourites, I love Florence. I think Florence Gorgeous, is just yes. such a um, – I mean, it's physically beautiful. The food's amazing, really easy to get around, a great walking city. I love a walking city because you can kind of get really up close and personal with the people and the places and get a bit granular. Um, granular. Yeah. Like really – like you say that in Italian? Granulare. There we go. You're the, yeah, that'll you're do. The, okay. be- probably better coming from you. Yeah. But all those micro experiences that you have just literally by going for a walk, really, really important, and I a, think, in terms of revealing a place. Um, I think Rome is just mm. as wonderful too. But, you know, you can get into – you you, you g- go anywhere. I think what the, the top thing that you found about Italy – when you were there, and then I'm going to tell you some lovely thing about Italy. I don't know. There's, there's a sort of a sense of Italy that, yep. and that comes from the people. And they, yep. for me, they just had a really good sense of what's important in life, and it's slowing down a bit, being kind of connected with the community and family, um, and 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 prioritizing your life around those things. And and when you go there, it's really hard not to kind of get swept up in that. And you know what? They'll tell you the three Fs matter most to them. There is a fourth, but only three, <laughs> which is food, fashion and family. Okay. And, in that order, and, fashion? Uh, well, you know what? Pro- probably, probably fashion first. So, yeah. You yeah. know, and the thing they oh. do is because when you go to Italy, you know, the moment you get off the plane or whatever, you can see what the fashion for the year is. Mm-hmm. They will buy an expensive outfit that suits the fashion for the year and they will wear that all year. Then they'll ditch it at the end of the year and get the new one. Um that is the fashion for the moment. I remember the year that it was khaki and orange and mm-hmm. everybody had khaki and orange on. Right. Just mm-hmm. extraordinary. They certainly do uh, look gorgeous. Oh, whatever Massive they generalisation do. alert, but, um, yeah, they do. They look absolutely spectacular when they're out and about. No, yeah. I, th- I think they are. But Venice too, astounding. Oh, unbelievable. Amazing. Venice, ridiculous. Yes. And, um, yeah, just a, almost a fairy tale. It's hard to believe you walk around that it hasn't just been – hasn't just sort of popped up and been manufactured. Like it is an astonishing, astonishing place. Where did you park your so we, van we, in? I, from memory, I think we drove to Verona and got the train. But we were very conscious of not driving too close to Venice and yes. and just, I guess, getting caught up in, in all of the, you know, the, the chaos potentially of being in one of the most visited cities in the in the world. And um, But we had a lovely time, you know, and again, just exploring, walking around. We didn't really, we weren't guided. We didn't really know necessarily what we were looking at. I mean, we were aware that we were in St. Mark's um, Square or yep. in front of those cathedrals, but we just wandered. And that's a really nice way to kind of experience what, Italy. And what would you say were your top three for somebody who hasn't been to Italy or someone who's thinking of going back there? Uh, what would your top three tips or places or experiences be that someone shouldn't miss before they die? Gosh, before they die, um, yeah. Lake Como. I oh, mean, yes. that is just. Can re- you describe it just oh, quickly? Oh, it's for the- it's. Um, it's dreamy and yep. the I mean the landscape is kind of hard to get your head around and the um, the villas that kind of just perch right on the edge of it are astonishing and all the little villages that you can just explore by ferry um, it's a super easy place to just kind of get lost and let it wash over you and you know take it easy there's a reason that Paul no what's his name the, the very handsome one George Clooney there's a reason George Clooney lives there mm. because it's so beautiful maybe your best experience or your best tip best tip okay this is this might be a bit left field but I would say don't 
put your ha- you know your life in the hands of your GPS while you're driving. So yep. be aware that um, many towns have similar names. It's really easy to type in the wrong name of your destination in Italy. <laughs> And, you, you could end up in the most ridiculous of places. Yeah, we did. We had a we had a particularly um, awkward moment on our first, very first um, journey in the car from the airport in Milan. We ended up in Croatia. <laughs> yeah, no. pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> um, and then uh, equally, equally, we were in Luca, and we parked the car, and our little GPS said, "Just go up this little street oh. to the to the left." And about a minute later, we were driving along the top of the wall that runs around the city, oh. which is effectively a public space and a and a park. And I think I got so low in my seat, people thought that car was driving itself. And and hilariously, as the Italians, as you would expect, they didn't step aside. No. They were walking their dogs and we had to drive at dog walking pace until we found an exit off that wall. And, uh, you know, they gesticulated at us, as you would, you know, expect. And um, quite amazing. But again, it was that, that GPS. So be aware, be present and go for it. Uh, we had a similar circumstance. My other half drove us onto the piazza at at St Peter's oh, wow. when you were not allowed to go there. You cannot imagine the number of police who came out and shoot us out really quickly. But they don't they don't necessarily put you in jail, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But you can really make those sorts of errors in Italy because. But you know, one of my things is that you can't. I don't know how easy or difficult it is to do anymore. But we hired a Vespa, huh. so I was like Sophia Loren on the back of the I Vespa can imagine, yeah. as we went around Rome. It was the best thing ever. Great. But I don't know that you can get insurance and all that sort of stuff these days. So I'm going to tell you about our road trip, given yours was a bit crazy. Mm-hmm. This one was too. This is way back in 1959 when I was just a small child. My father decided that he wanted to take us to Italy back home because he came from up the north of Italy. And we had a Ford custom line that was cream and a very pale green. So what he did was he had the roof Duke code red so that we were driving an Italian flag around <laughs> Italy. He took the car with you. Yeah, so he put the car on a ship in Melbourne mm-hmm. and we disembarked the ship in Naples. But my mother said, you go alone. If you don't put the colour of the roof back to what it was originally, I am not coming. <laughs> I am not driving anywhere in an Italian flag. So, yes, the, the car on the ship in Melbourne, off in Naples, and we drove six months around Europe with a, wow. the right-hand drive. I know it was extraordinary. Madness, like yours was, in a people mover, but splendid. Always fun driving, but yep. the practicality of a big car in villages oh. with tiny weenie roads yep. and even smaller archways and bollards separating public you know, walk, walking areas from roads can be a real minefield. Cannot be in a hurry. <laughs> One of the other things that I um, – I found really interesting uh, driving through Italy a lot was obviously one of the things you have to do is stop to refuel the car, but there's massive Italian service stations with an incredible espresso bar in them. So you walk in, there's a dozen Italians leaning up against the counter with their shots of espresso looking a million dollars. And then even just grabbing like a panini from a service station and having it toasted and getting back in the car is just the greatest. I think they're actually more than service stations. You know, you do remind me of them. They're amazing. They go up and over the freeways. Yeah. And down the other side, so you can enter them either way. But apart from the coffee, because I drink tea, and in Italy they do not know how to give you cold milk with tea, so uh-huh. you always get a frothy cup of tea because they use cappuccino milk right. to put in it. But the delicatessens in those whopping service stations yes. 
are astoundingly yeah. beautiful. So you can go way beyond a panini, but you're a panino, but absolutely right. wonderful. You're quite right to remind us of those. Yeah. Stopping delicious. at them is a food experience yeah, I know, in and itself. it's a petrol yes. station, yeah. A little bit of a guilty pleasure of mine is a petrol station sandwich, actually, and it was next level in Italy. Absolutely oh, next level. Travelling from petrol station to petrol station, <laughs> there's a food trip yeah, <laughs> in itself. <laughs> now, food, go on, favourites. Gosh, my, I guess when I think of um, food, it's just this slideshow, almost a blur of meal after meal after meal of incredible really simple food. I guess that's a yep. really defining thing is that when, when I was – if I would cook a pasta dish, it would be way complicated, ridiculous. I'd be throwing a million things in there and you find that the pasta dishes over there, for example, are super simple. It's a couple of ingredients thrown together really, really like well. Like oil and garlic. Oil and, and garlic, be, yep. salt, pepper, yep. you know, maybe some tomatoes. I think the regional changes are really interesting too. It's a rare thing that you have a meal that you don't absolutely enjoy. The pasta is wonderful. And don't you like the way that you you there's three major dishes that you're <laughs> meant to eat? Like the pasta is a primo piatto, mm-hmm. the first plate, and then there's secondia, the, the meats and all those sorts of things, and then the, the then come the dolce. <laughs> but um, all of them are absolutely fabulous and wonderful. I, and, and the regional changes, like up in the north where we come from, polenta, which is now very famous and everybody had, was a, um, a pastoralist food. But in the north you have to have white polenta. You must not have yellow mm-hmm. polenta. The rest of Italy it's yellow. Mm-hmm. And if we had yellow polenta in our home, my father would go absolutely crazy. Right. So those sorts of regional changes. Yeah, regional changes and seasonal changes and as well are really important. seasonal changes, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. The vegetables aren't the vegetables sensational. Yeah, amazing. And they don't. Cook them really quickly. They're not as you don't have a crisp Brussels sprout like mm-hmm. you do here in the mm-hmm. fancy restaurants. Mm. You have a Brussels sprout that is quite soft and lovely. Yeah, with olive oil and whatever. What about the wine? Um, wine, amazing and yep. really affordable and always local. There's always a local wine, and you know that's that's my tip is go with whatever's local. Um, and I, we even we stayed in a villa. Ooh. Sounds. Posh um, wasn't wasn't that posh, but there was a Le- little. Re- leave it, was it a, was posh. It was it yes. was unbelievable. Yeah, it was um, the Clooney's house, and um, there you go. It was a little, um, <laughs> I guess, a, a restaurant very very close by, a few doors up, and we would walk up with a glass jug and just ask them to fill it up with the house red and walk it back to the house, and and it just you know changes the way. It makes you realise we have a, a particularly strange relationship with alcohol. I think in Australia, yeah. it's totally different. Yeah, and to be able to. We didn't, I don't think we sent the kids in to get it, but we wandered down and wander home with a jug of local red wine for a couple of dollars. And it's pretty it, amazing. And I, and I bet you didn't see too many drunk Italians. No. You just, they just. A few sleeping it's, ones. It's a few sleeping ones. But, <laughs> and, and yes, and my tip to travellers mm-hmm. is when you go into those restaurants, you order your wine by the, the half litre or the quarter litre and it comes out in the jugs or the bottles. So yeah. it's not anything special. Yeah. And it's that light table wine that's just fabulous and Correct. wonderful. You know, what is it? Quarto litro un mezzo litro, quarter of a litre or half a litre that you um, order. Can you remember your most favourite meal? Oh, it may have been something as simple as a plate of gnocchi. A really, really gnocchi. simple. Yep. Just on a little kind of um, terrace outside a small restaurant in the middle of nowhere, really. With un litro di vino, <laughs> a whole litre of wine. Maybe, yeah, because it was a walk home. Yeah, it was easy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, favourite part of Italy or don't have one? Um it's hard to go past Tuscany, yep. but and just oh, for all I love of those, it that you said that all of those reasons. So um, beautiful uh, part of the world, that that regional kind of influence on food and wine, and I think really beautiful at any time of year. 
Uh, La Bella Toscana, can I just make you feel a little jealous here because mm-hmm. I am about to take a tour to their next year. Oh, come on. And it's, I know, it's June. It's going to be in June, which is nice. the lovely summertime, uh, long days, and we're staying in on estates, mm-hmm. not in town, and uh, the tour goes to Tuscany Lovely. and everything that's in the Siena, Florence, all those gorgeous staying places. in each of those cities? I uh, think so, <laughs> yes, but on in villas like you did, posh like you, <laughs> um, and then we're going across to the Italian Riviera Gorgeous. And through Luca and pizza, so we will think of you. Do a do a lap of the wall on foot. Do a lap and, of the wall um, on think foot, of me not drive. And my people mover, yeah. Maybe a coach tour would be a good thing <laughs> to do a lap of the wall. We'd be noticed. <laughs> would, yeah. And then we're going across to Cinque Terre, and and one of the things about Cinque Terre is when people read that they say Cinque Terre. That's Ooh. not how you pronounce it. It's Cinque no, Terre. It means five levels. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's next year in, in twenty twenty. I I cannot. I bet. Wait, and for those people who'd like to come with me, please, we will have the best time and a litre of wine every <laughs> single meal, including breakfast. It's a Colette tour, so please come with me. I'd love to have you there. For more information, visit the link in the show notes or go to gocolette.com.au. Two L's and two T's. Can't wait. Coming up, we speak with a foodie expert, Lamberto Di Gioia, about the taste of Italy on a plate. Ben, are we going to do you a favour and all our listeners right now because I'm about to introduce Lamberto Di Gioia, how is that beautiful name, who is a serious Italian foodie and gastronomer. And Lamberto, ciao, come va? Ciao, buongiorno a tutti e Uh, a tutte. Buongiorno. We need to know some really good things about pasta. We're here to listen to you. Just tell us what we need to do. Mm. So there's a couple of things. First of all, um, the the one secret that I love to share, or, or rather, my friends love uh, when I share that secret because it really makes a difference in their uh, in their cooking, is uh, is salt. There's mm. just this one word here, salt, because uh, if you get the right amount of salt in your water uh, in which you boil the pasta, you are already. I'm not saying 80%, but 70% there. Is that so? Absolutely. So I how do you I mean? always get it wrong. So what? Yeah, how do you so, know how to quantity? measure? What should we be doing? Salt. Um, look, it's, it's actually very easy. Um, so when you, um, when you actually boil your water, um, hopefully without pasta in it, <laughs> Well, you're laughing, but a I lot am, of people I'm actually put their pasta <laughs> in the cold water and then... Well, start from the okay. beginning, Lamberto. Yeah. Boil yeah. your water first. Okay, yeah. so boil your, food, your water first. When it's, uh, when it's boiling, uh, you add salt. And ah. salt, not just, you know, a little bit of... Uh, a little bit like shaking a, a little um, 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 salt pot, but actually a bunch. You have to uh, realize that you're, you're actually about to saturate that water uh-huh. with salt. Is that a tablespoon? If we, we would more? It depends. More, it depends how big the pot. The pot if is. you're cooking maybe for four people, I would assume you would probably boiling four or five liters mm-hmm. of water. Mm-hmm. Imagine that quantity. Imagine how much salt you put in a salad or on a steak. For four liters of water, you actually mm-hmm. go for a full... At least for a full, um, a good little uh, handful. Yes, absolutely. But here's the here's the good news that it, in order to taste, uh, grab a spoon, and you actually you just taste re- the water. Taste a little bit of water. You need to be able to tell that it that there is salt in there. Oh, great! If it tastes good, your pasta will taste good. 
Ah, there you I go. I'm going to try that yes. tonight. That's... <laughs> yes. But, but, but he also says it, go, it goes in, the salt goes in after, once the water is boiling. Yes. Ah, see, another mistake. Yes. Well, <laughs> it depends. You can, you can put it, you can put it yeah. even before, but uh, depending on how soon you put, um, you, um, you put the pasta in the water, if the water evaporates, then you're actually, um, it becomes too salty. Okay. So you, you're actually, the best thing is to put it just before you throw the pasta in. Then, <laughs> so you don't put oil in the water? No, because that's a meat, Julie. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's a meat that, you know. Now, the other thing that we do here is um, we do fairly complicated sauces, mm. uh, uh, and but we can do simple ones, can't we, that give you equally as much flavour. You must have a few of those. Yeah, look, um, in Italy... The 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 um, uh, the ingredients are, are really king. Uh, they are yeah. they are the very protagonist of the table. The tomatoes, the parsley, the the, the garlic. All of those ingredients have uh, an absolute very intense uh, uh, flavor. And I must say, here in Australia, also we have some very good produce. But we're often drift. I tend to see that a lot of Italian dishes are um, people trying to to add everything together, yeah. and uh, and so. You, you find you start finding balsamic vinegar everywhere and uh, you know and let's put all the four cheeses in with every dishes and let's put basil and, and fennel and parsley and all together no 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 it's not like that are we in a post balsamic world now do you think <laughs> I, I hope so peak balsamic I, I really hope so okay. by the way I love balsamic vinegar yeah. but only in my salad with olive yeah. oil and that's so, it so can I but, just take you a little side journey for a minute before you give us more important information I do a bolognese all the time never the same because I don't follow a recipe, just mm. taste it. Secret ingredient. Oh, Lamberto, I'm a bit I'm a bit worried. I'm mm. gonna tell you this. Vegemite. Wow. You know you know what? I'm not surprised and actually I, I say chapeau, like the French would say. What does that mean? Okay. So, chapeau means uh, oh, my hat's taken off yeah, to you. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Because um, look, Vegemite is very salty and everything. And some people who some Italian chef here um, and one of which is a, is a very good and 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 famous one, but I won't, I won't mention his no. name. Actually, uses soy sauce yeah. uh, in their wow. uh, in their ragu. Well, I was talking to the ver- one of the very famous ones, Marco Pierre White, and said I asked him that because he made us a risotto with asparagus that was just fabulous. And I said, can I ask? I feel like I'm letting the family down every time. He said to me. Whatever it requires to make it taste good, that's what you do. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm nearly conscience-free with the Vegemite. So it would have been like a tablespoon or something? What do you check oh, in? Oh, I do it to taste. Oh. I throw a lot of – I throw in English mustard too. Oh, wow. It's just – just don't let Lamberto here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, back, back to you, Lamberto. <laughs> Look, no, but, but that's uh, – now, jokes apart, it, it's actually true. It's really – it's all about the end result. Um, but the only the point I'm, um, I wanted to make is that in order to get to that end result, you might need three things mm. or two things. Uh, I know we say and Italians say uh, l'occhio vuole la, anche l'occhio vuole la, la sua parte. The, the eye too wants uh, their their it's part. part in it, as yes. in you know, presentation should also be very important. Um, but that often I find leads um, pushes people to add too many 
herbs and too many uh, color things and accessories um, that are beyond, uh, you know, what really the Italian food, the Italian cuisine is about. I mean, you look you look at Italian restaurant there in Italy. There, the best ones are ugly. The lighting is really poor. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing chic or, mm-hmm. or juge about them. Um, and even the presentation, the plates can be really, you know, um, yeah. simple and and boring. But then you eat them and. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's fantastic. Another, it's a, so, it's give us one simple recipe that we can now add to our repertoire of cooking pasta. Oof. For me, they're all simple. Um, <laughs> Is there one in particular that you make for people and it kind of knocks their socks off? Aglia e olio or <clears throat> spaghetti al burro. Well, one, the, probably the simpler one is uh, it's not even spaghetti al burro, but it's pastina burro parmigiano. So it's your small pastina, you know, the risoni, for instance, that we often use in soups. Yes. Uh, you just boil that again with risoni. salt, mm-hmm. risoni. Yeah. Uh, you strain it and then um, you actually mix it with, uh, with a dollop of butter and parmesan. And par- by the way, Parmesan, there's only one Parmesan, and it's Parmigiano-Reggiano. The mm-hmm. rest is not Parmesan. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're clear. 12 months minimum, 24 um, better, but Burro Parmigiano. And Pastina Burro Parmigiano is absolutely one of probably the, the simplest, the easiest. Uh, and delicious. And delicious. And you don't need to put parsley on top or anything like no, that? What, no, 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 no. no just serve nothing, as is. Mark Perilocchio for the eye. It's all right just for it to be like that. Uh, not really, not really. That probably one of the, the, the most boring one. Another mm. simpler one that actually gives a little bit of pleasure to the eye too, mm-hmm. I would say, is, um, is, uh, um, the pasta al tonno. Uh, pasta al tonno, pennette al tonno, penne al tonno, so maybe stripy penne, uh, penne are the little, Re- I think ribbed penne. Yes. Yes. Um, again, boil the pasta, um, with enough salt. Again, I'll never repeat it enough. Um, and then in, um, in a pan, the holy trinity for seafood, olive oil, garlic, and, uh, and a bit of parsley. Mm-hmm. So that's the, those three okay. ingredients when you're cooking seafood in Italy are absolutely a, a must. Like they're always together. I call them La, la Santa Trinita. <laughs> um, the, the, um, and then um, some cherry tomatoes. At the end, you toss a bit of uh, tuna, even from the can. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, again, we're talking simple recipe here. Yeah. Yeah. With a fork, you actually try and, and separate the tuna and to make it almost like a paste. Uh, a bit of chili, why not? But yeah. that's it. So we're up, up to how many? Four ingredients. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you toss your pe- penne in, uh, mixed, and that's Done. it. And serve. Wow, they sound absolutely yeah. And it's that simplicity delicious. of those dishes that I really remember from my visits to Italy. Like a couple of ingredients, local, fresh, seasonal, amazing. You have to recognize, you look at the dish, you have to be able to tell, okay, in here, I can, and, and you have you to be able to name and identify <laughs> the ingredient. If you don't, yeah. it's, no. By the way, no cream in carbonara, but, so we're clear. Oh. Never cream. There's no cream. Did you know there was no cream? Well, in my, my, it's my son's go-to dish at the moment. So what, what should he, how should he be making that? Only <laughs> eggs. But do we have time though? <clears throat> we got time to get to talk about onions. Yeah, okay, very, yeah, yeah. very quick. So olive oil. Yes. A bit of um, uh, chopped onion. Some pancetta. Um, so you heat it up in uh, with the oil and the onion. 
I also uh, enjoy to put a little bit of uh, uh, red wine in it. Mm. Uh, if you really want to put the balsamic uh, vinegar, maybe that's one exception. <laughs> uh, but but um, okay. but yes. And then in a bowl, in a big salad bowl, um, what I do is I use only uh, egg yolks. So I would use one egg yolk per person uh, plus an additional one for the bowl. So for two people, mm. I would use probably three. Uh, egg yolks, uh, and for, uh, for, for people, I would double that, that quantity. Uh, a, a lot of olive oil, but try not to turn it into a mayonnaise. So hopefully mm -hmm. take the, the, the eggs from the fridge because when they're cold, it's harder yep. to, to make the mayonnaise. Uh, pepper and some parmesan, uh, grate in it and, and you mix. When the pasta is ready, uh, you toss it in, uh, in, in, in the egg, you add the oil with the pancetta, you mix, and it's gonna be beautifully creamy. So the eggs is just cooking, cooking in the heat with of the, the temperature, exactly. Uh, and there's strictly, strictly no dairy in there. Wow. Well, other than the parmesan. Uh, so no cream, and it absolutely creamy. And, and a lot of pepper because egg, the egg wants the pepper. Oh, yeah. So you and no Vegemite, Ben. No Vegemite. <laughs> when you give somebody a new recipe for their repertoire, you know, you are a, an angel. So, grazie tanto. Grazie a voi. Buon appetito. Julia, who are we talking to now? Oh, we've got something very exciting ahead. We're going to be speaking to Paul Diamond, who's the publisher of Selector magazine, and he's a man who knows absolutely everything there is to know about wine across the world. Paul, we're right here in the heart of Italy now and been talking about all amazing <laughs> things Italian. Over to you. Talk to us about the wines. We're particularly up in the northern area right at the moment, you know, from okay. Rome up. Off you go. Tell us what we should do, what we should order and... Does that mezzo litro that you have on the table, is it as good as everything else? What I would suggest to everybody is very much be guided by wherever you're going. Um, try the wines by the glass. If language is a problem, trust that the wherever, whatever restaurant you're at or whatever trattoria is serving you, be guided by, uh, by who is serving you because ultimately these guys um, are going to be choosing the best wine to go with the food that... Uh, that's going to accompany with it. And that, that often sometimes will open the door to trying new varieties and styles like France um, and unlike Australia. Um, a lot of Italian wines aren't distinguishable by, by their variety. The variety is very rarely put onto the bottle. So understanding each region requires a, a little bit of research. Paul, apart from the um, unique and recognisable bottle, what is a Chianti wine all about? So I've just got to interrupt and fix you both yes. up here. It's Chianti. Chianti. Yes. Chianti. Chianti. <laughs> Speak Italian when we're talking Did about it. Did I say Chianti? You said Chianti. Okay. I, so sorry. And he I said often, Chianti. I often get very nervous about trying to replicate um, replicate that sort of stuff because there's always one person who tells you you've got it wrong. And maybe today, Julie, that's you. Could be me. And I'm going to fix you up with Trattoria as well. It's Trattoria. Trattoria. It's okay. her territory, yes. Paul. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll ring you separately and give you some Italian lessons, Paul, if that's okay. <laughs> That's just fine. So look, Chianti is generally recognisable by the round bottles with the straw cases on them. The, 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 the Rosso um, is really, a, it's, a, it's a squat bottle and it's sort of, it's the little basket that it sits in is called a fiasco and generally those things are put on the table and you drink them. The great varieties that go into that can be um, Sangiovese, um, can be Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, there's a whole bunch of really small varieties that go into it. 
And when it comes to white Chianti, white wine there, it's really generally going to be a variety called Malvasia Blanca. The great thing about um, Italy, France, Portugal, Spain, Germany is all of those sort of sub-regions really do support the wine that is grown around them. The food culture of those regions very much grew up hand in hand with the wine that was produced with them and they reflect each other beautifully. You know, so going Florence, going up north, you really get to see wines you're never going to get to see anywhere else. They, they pretty much stay in that region. You want to search for those, those little gems that you're never going to get anywhere else and that's the whole point of travel. What's your most memorable experience in Italy attached to a wine and perhaps not attached to a wine? On a, on a guided tour, actually, we, we were on a cruise and we had docked at Etna and we went up into the hills and we went into a, um, a little winery called Grady and it looked like it was 100 years old and walked through their vineyards, looked at their very, very old production methods. And when we got time to tasting, I realised that tasting them there, um, you know, on those sort of silty soils and man out and they're looking up and at the clouds and having lunch in their courtyard was just beautiful. Do you feel like the wine's different when your feet are actually in the soil from which it's been grown? Absolutely. I think that there's this notion, and everybody's had that experience, when it might be even here in Australia, where you go to a cellar door, you meet people, you hear you know, you know, hear their story, you, you, you get in touch with their passion, and it certainly does make the wine taste better. If at the very least that connection with drinking that wine at home takes you back there, then I think that's a good thing. Paolo, grazie. Thank you. We will be talking to you again about other parts of the world because you're just going to give us all extraordinary experiences when we travel. No, my pleasure. Good to talk to you and uh, hopefully we'll chat soon. Next, we're going to try out an Aperol Spritz mixed live in the studio by Tristram Finney. Welcome, Tristram. Wonderful to have you here. Now, you tell us a little bit about you. Well, I am the uh, brand ambassador for Aperol and also for the whole Campari portfolio. I get to spend my days talking to people about the Italian spirits, the iconic brands that we have that I truly love. So what we're trying to work out today is do we know the difference? We all know what a cocktail is, but do we know the difference between an aperitif and a digestif? What do you reckon, Ben? Well, I I looked this up Julia, and um, an aperitif is a drink served before a meal to stimulate the appetite, and a digestive is one served after a meal to help digest it. Now, do you agree with Does that, that sound right? Makes complete sense, and we've got a lot of products from uh, Italy and the greater parts of the world that definitely classify there. Just before we get on to the perfect spritz, um, Prosecco has become so fashionable now in Australia, and particularly at Christmas, you just don't seem to be able to buy it. It's sold out everywhere you go. How? When was the tipping point that made it, you know, such a sought-after drink in this country? So, again, not being able to speak to the whole Prosecco category and all the producers that exist in it, I've got a lot to say that people getting into Italian culture – through items like the Aperol Spritz and also just through, I guess, cultural integration more than anything else. Because it's fabulous. Off you go, Tristram. Fantastic. So everybody listening in the digital space, we're going to be talking to you and walking you through, and unfortunately you cannot be here to enjoy the Aperol Spritzes that we're going to make. Now to make your perfect Aperol Spritz, there's going to be a little bit of noise in the background, everybody, but that's natural when you're making cocktails. We're looking at getting the largest wine glass you can find. I was going to ask about the vessel. Yeah, The vessel, around anything 400 mils and above for a wine glass is perfect for this because you want to fit as much ice as you can in there. The ice is really important. It keeps it really cold, which keeps your drink fizzier, keeps your carbonation, but also fills out the glass and just makes it great, especially when it's warm in Australia. You kind of need to have that little bit of chill, that little bit of freshness to make it all work. So what we're going to do is make a little bit of noise. 
Ooh, gonna, I like that noise. And we're gonna, yeah, everyone knows that that's the noise of drinks about to happen. So for those that can't see, we literally have our glass, beautiful wine glass filled with ice. What we want it's to a do- a lot of ice. Yes. Exactly. We're going to put about 60 mils of Prosecco in there. We're going to do equal parts. So the way that we want to look at Aperol spritz at home, you don't need to remember the measurements, but if you've got your Aperol and your Prosecco in equal parts, uh-huh. and then there's a splash of soda, we don't need a lot in there. That's going to make the best drink. Then we're going to do the same with the Aperol, pour it over oh, the top. The magic so, color change. Oh, is it? Is it yeah. wonderful? The color does start yeah. to change. And you can see it's got that beautiful, very unique, very Aperol colored orange is the best way to talk about it. See, and I think the darker the orange, the better the drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what we're going to do is just add a small splash of water. Now, what we need to do after that. Soda water. Soda water. Yes. If you feel real fancy, you can use mineral water, but soda water, we all have I've got a soda stream at home, in all honesty. So for my uh, my Aperol spritzes, I use a soda stream. Mm-hmm. Then use a, mi- uh, a mixing implement. I would be saying a spoon, whatever you have around next to you, a teaspoon is going to work great. And what you want to do is just incorporate all of the items together. Because if you don't do that, you're going to end up having this layer of soda mm-hmm. on top. And either if you don't have a straw, which... Again, there's a big movement around straws around the world. If you don't have a straw, you're just going to get a mouthful of soda and it's not going to be incorporated the whole is way Is this through. a straw drink? It really depends on where you are. It's right. completely up to yeah. the people. Julia, are you straw or uh, no straw? Not often. Just no, no. And that's, and that's one of the things. Look, the, str- the straw discussion is definitely amongst the individuals. Uh, yeah. Sure. Okay. But realistically, I've always done mine without a straw because I really like the idea, like similar to a glass of wine, Getting the full bouquet. You've got a lot of, you know, powerful flavors and aromas coming through from your Aperol and your Prosecco. Kind of want to make that all come together. And the straw puts a distance between you and Yeah, and I'm I'm just a little bit like that. I come from a wine background (laughs) as well. And then what we want to do is put through a beautiful wedge of orange. Into the glass, not on the glass. Not on the glass, nope. Into the glass, along the side of it, and... There you go. It's huh. a very simple drink to make, as you've heard me actually just put it together. We're talking, again, equal parts of Aperol to your Prosecco, little splash of soda, and as much ice as you can get in the glass beforehand. The yeah. name Aperol, sorry, for, oh. um, do we know where that's... So that name, uh, so Silvio and Luigi did a lot of research around after uh, taking over the distillery from their father in 1912, and they actually took a lot of influence from travelling to France and seeing what was going on as well amongst it. Now, the name itself is a riff on the French colloquialism for aperitif, mm-hmm. apero. So they brought that in and created Aperol as the namesake of their product when launched in 1919 in Padova. There you go. So the, the drink's 100 years old. Uh, the, the, the spirit ap- is... The spirit. The, the Aperol the itself is... The is, to me, feels much more recent. So the, the spritz itself, we started to see come around in the 1950s oh, coming wow. from Venice. Okay. So it is a much younger drink, but the actual base of it, the Aperol as well, we are looking at 1919. Wow. It's a while, isn't it? Now, what do you suggest that you eat with... Do you do it with snacks? Do you do it with a meal? Is it... If it's an aperitivo... As Very well you pronounced. would say, mm-hmm. yes. Um, uh, it's it's before. before your meal with cheese and biscuits or? So in reality, when you look at where Aperol sits and amongst the aperitivo moment, as yeah. to your last points there, talking about your meats, your cheese, your little stuzzacchini, which are your small little bites that they would serve at the aperitivo bars, cafes, restaurants as well, in the piazzas and communal areas for their aperitivo moments, it's a fantastic match. Kind of can't go wrong. It's uh, been, you know, we've been having aperitivo in the Italian culture for hundreds of years. Thank you. And for all of you listening, we certainly hope that you're going to rush out now. If you don't already have Aperol, go and buy it. It's the most exquisite colour. 
Prosecco, and there's a lot of Prosecco from Italy here. Beautiful. Fantastic amounts. With DOC written on it. Do you want to just explain what DOC means? So the denomination origin controle is basically similar to how the French have got their protections for champagne and their AOCs. It's just saying that a product is made in a certain style and it's from a certain place. You've got another classification beyond that, but this is definitely more getting into the wine, so your wine experts would be the best ones to help you with. But it's more so just protecting and saying that it is a certain product from a certain area made in a certain style. And and really authentic. Um, There's an Aperol spritz just sitting there. I think I need to try it. How are we going to have it? Well, well, I we can. Aren't, I can always. Actually, we're I not going to have. I think Tristan might yes. have to. Yeah, yes. I think yes. I might have to make some. Because I wasn't. I've, I've forgotten all the uh, proportions. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, you. Give Tristram, it another go. Thank you very much. This is absolutely wonderful. And Absolute pleasure being here, guys. Come si dice salute. Salute. Grazie. Prego. Grazie mille. <laughs> e benino. Come è stato la bella Italia per te? Whatever you said, I totally agree with that. I'm thinking you asked me how that was for me. I am being. Yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, I do feel like a, I need a bit of a lie down though after, you know, so much afternoon wine and, um, you know, an Aperol spritz. I think I'm, I'm good for a, a rest. Well, I want you to learn a bit more of the language because you will be useless as an Italian lover if you don't understand what you're being asked, Ben, much less what you're inviting people to do. Okay. You know, I think we could probably do a dozen Italian Taste Bud Traveller episodes, don't you we think? We could. We've a got whole a whole season, bunch more stories. Yeah. Yes, to tell it's you. It's that kind of place, yeah. To get your Taste Bud Traveller fix make sure you rate review and importantly subscribe to the podcast for dozens of tasty adventures around the world and for other listeners to join us and to have as much of a fabulous experience yeah share the love spread it around so ben remember this i am at your service so ciao ciao